0: Shabbat shalom. So, we're in uh, kind of part two on our what's becoming a series on spiritual warfare. I've, I've entitled this Learning to Rule and Reign in the Spiritual Realm. Our nation is immersed in the spiritual realm as evidenced in Hollywood and other media forms within the cultural pillar of what we call arts and entertainment. You can look at a lot, like the movies on Netflix, Amazon Prime, you know the Disney Channel, all of those, and just look at how much really is about spiritual things, right? We're enamored with the spiritual realm. That's just not true in our nation. That's everywhere because God has placed deep within us the ability to understand and relate to spiritual things. We have a hunger for spiritual things. Biblically, we know that this realm, the spiritual realm, exists and has interfaced with us since the Garden of Eden. Today, we're going to pick up where we left off last week in our teaching on Halloween and the spiritual realm. It's a wider look at this whole realm of darkness that's all around us. Our primary passage that we've been looking at, will continue to uh, unpack, is Ephesians chapter 6. Verses 10 through 18. I encourage you to read that when you get home and kind of explore that passage and what it's saying and look at all the related passages and subject matter. It's really fascinating. In fact, the background, if you look at the Hebraic background to Ephesians chapter 6, Paul being a Jew, right? If you look at the background to Ephesians chapter 6, you're going to find that it reveals a whole lot about the realm of the Spirit. So let's recap a little bit before we get into the next part of this teaching on how to rule and reign spiritually with Messiah over the realm of darkness. So last week we read Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 11. Let's look at that real quick. Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, and put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Put on the whole armor of God. He's describing war. He's saying we're in a war. There's an enemy that seeks to destroy us and that we got to fight him. And We do that with the armor of God. The devil is real. Jesus said concerning him, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because in him there is no truth. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. That's how he deceived our first parents, Adam and Eve, in the garden. He came in, he was deceptive, he got them to kind of question the word of God and then actually undermine the word of God. I mean, he's a liar and he's here today he has a present reality here among our natural realm and he lies to us to each and every one of us he comes and he asks questions and he posits ideas lies in order to deceive us and keep us away from who god is and what god has for us the apostle peter warns us in his epistle he says Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So when you think about the metaphor of wildlife, right, the lions, yeah, where do you think they get their dinner? They roam around, watching the pack and they're waiting for someone to bolt from the pack to wander from the pack to stray from the pack you know what they're called lunch or dinner you know depending on the time of day but that's what they do their safety in the pack their safety in numbers but alone we're no match for the schemes of the enemy, and he is seeking to devour people. He hates God and he hates his creation, wants to destroy it. Let's look at other fallen gods. Satan is, is, is will say, we will make the case, maybe not conclu- conclusively, but I think it's pretty apparent that he is the chief of the fallen angels or the chief of the fallen gods. But there's other fallen gods as well. Ephesians 6.12, Paul goes on to say, We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And these entities are actually beings that have real authority and real power over what we call cosmic geography. The spiritual realm has kind of a spiritual geography that overlaps and interacts with the natural realm and its geology or geography. So it's all kind of interconnected. Now these other beings, these rulers, these uh, cosmic powers, right, these spiritual forces, they first emerge in Genesis chapter 6. Remember the story of the angels leaving their heavenly places of dominion and coming down into our natural realm and taking women and cohabitating and creating this bizarre hybrid of humanity called the Nephilim? Yeah, that all begins in Genesis 6. Let's read that. Genesis 6, 1-4. When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, then the sons of God, now I, I don't have time to unpack this because we just have a short period of time. The phrase sons of God in this passage is a reference to divine beings in the heavenly realms. I, 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 could, I could lay all that out for you theologically and you would say yes and amen, okay? But you're going to have to take my word on it, be a Berean, go study it later. So the sons of God, these divine beings who were here before we were created, They were part of the divine counsel of God. God had a heavenly host before he created an earthly family. These sons of God, these divine beings, saw the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His day shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them. The offspring of these fallen divine beings and their earthly mothers were called Nephilim, which in the Hebrew is a reference to giants who were mighty both in wisdom and knowledge and also in strength and uh, shrewdness, if you will. These Nephilim were the result. It says, these were the mighty men. The word mighty is Gabor. You know, God is called uh, um, a mighty Gabor, a mighty God. It's, it's really in reference to uh, divine beings. It can be attributed to mankind, too, and is attributed to the Nephilim. Uh, El Gabor is mighty God for instance. So these were the uh, mighty men who were of old and men of renown. Keep in mind, these sons of God that are referenced here, these divine beings who fell, they were created by God originally. They were serving God originally. They were helping him in the administration of the creation and sustaining the universe. But they rebelled for whatever reason. There came a time in which they said, we're not doing that anymore. We're going to do our own thing. And they left their dominion, their domains, and they came down to the earth and cohabitated with women. In ancient Near East... um, literature, you'll find these gods uh, in in those days. In fact, Nimrod is one of those Nephilim. Uh, You'll find in in intertestamental period literature uh, a book called The Book of the Giants, written by Jewish sages concerning the background to Genesis 6, and they list Nimrod as one of those Nephilim. Guess who else is found in The Book of Giants? The Epic of Gilgamesh. I don't know if you've heard of Gilgamesh, but that's like the the earliest writings that we have in terms of literature. And um, Gilgamesh happens to be one of the Nephilim. And uh, those Nephilim, of course, um, terrorized and corrupted humanity. When they died, their disembodied spirits continued to roam the earth according to ancient jewish literature these disembodied spirits continue to roam the earth terrorizing mankind ruling over them even seeking to inhabit them that's what the new testament calls demon possession why do demons want a body why do these spirits want a body Because they used to have one. That's what they're familiar with. That's what they lost. And so they seek to re-inhabit, of course. Now this idea of these departed uh, spirits of the Nephilim being um, demons is really kind of developed in the New Testament. That's where you find most of the development. But the material that that's being developed from is the intertestamental period, the books written during that period of time between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And that's where a lot of that kind of finds its uh, traction. The result, actually, let me back up a little bit. The original fallen gods in Genesis 6 later are assigned geographic domains on our planet. God casts them down to the earth and basically relegates them to the earth and then says, here's your dominions over the earth. And they're assigned geographical territories to rule and reign over. Why would God do that? Because mankind is rebelled against God, too. Mankind is in rebellion. And these angels are the ones that have led them into that rebellion. So the rebellion in heaven and the rebellion on earth are interrelated. They're interconnected. And God basically says in, in Deuteronomy chapter 32, and also in Deuteronomy 4, you see this. God basically says, I'm divorcing myself from the nations since you've rebelled against me and insist And persist in rebellion. I disinherit myself. I'm pulling back my rule and reign. And I'm going to hand you over to fallen beings. Rebel gods. To rule and reign over you. After all. Rebel people. Deserve rebel gods. And so that's where we find this whole idea. That that in the spiritual realm. They're connected to our realm. And they're actually ruling and reigning over our world of course until god plans to send his son to take it all back jesus is the divine the 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 cosmic divine invader coming to take back the creation of god so i mean this is all super interesting the the, you know i wish i had time to really kind of make the case but like i said go and study it for yourself Uh, i think you'll find it super um exciting in a lot of ways So these fallen ones that are over all the nations, these are the theological backdrop for Paul's view of the spiritual realm in Ephesians chapter 6. In fact, Paul's going to choose some language and some terms that relate directly to the terms already given to these fallen beings. Again, He calls them rulers, authorities, cosmic powers presiding over this present world of darkness. That's why it's called a world of darkness. It's filled with sin and shame led by rebel gods who want to corrupt and bring about perversion and violence and death. And you see that over and over and over. Why did God bring the flood in the first place on the heels of Genesis chapter 6? He was going to destroy the world because it was filled with sexual perversion and violence and death. That's why he was sending the flood. Also, to wipe out the Nephilim, by the way. They are spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Heavenly places being a reference to the spiritual realm. Heaven isn't something like, you know, a couple hundred thousand light years in the north part of the universe, okay? It's a dimension. It's here, it's all around us. The realm of heaven and the realm of earth interact, okay? These are evil forces in the spiritual realm that interacts and interfaces with our realm. That's the explanation of why we see such evil in our world. I think left to to mankind alone, we would not see this level of evil that we see. Now, it would still be evil because we're in rebellion too. But with the help of the angels, man, this has gotten way out of control. And it's pretty intense. And it's getting worse, not better. So their work, the work of these fallen beings, the, the, the work of these uh, uh, spiritual beings, be they the sons of God or the departed spirits of the Nephilim, they're all a part of this dark realm. And their work, their agenda is to lead mankind into rebellion against God and his ways. So last week we explored this in Jude's teaching. Jude connects the earthly rebellion and the heavenly rebellion. He makes the case how they're interconnected and interrelated. The reason we talk about the rebellion in the heavenlies is because it's very, very similar to what has happened here because they're the ones that introduced that that seduced mankind into that. So they're pretty interrelated. We can learn a lot from that. Spiritual warfare is all about exposing and overcoming the spirit of rebellion and lawlessness in our natural realm. Yeah. That's amazing when you think about it, right? Our brother, we're going to get him baptized here, get that scheduled. There's no greater act of spiritual warfare than what we witness here today. When you have a human being that says, I'm switching my allegiance, and my allegiance is now Jesus, that is spiritual warfare. That is is moving from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And there's no greater act of spiritual warfare than what he just did and what will be in a way, formalized in that baptism that's coming. Some of the key characteristics of rebellion in our realm are seen in in the following. And the reason I bring this out is because sometimes we're rebels, and we don't even know it. Because we've been deceived and we don't even think in terms of what rebellion is. But once we understand what it is, then oftentimes we're kind of shocked and realize, yeah, I kind of have fallen into that. And the reason I share this is so that we can come out of it, so we can repent and come out of it. God says, come out of Babylon, my people. Don't participate in this wicked world because I'm going to judge it. And the judgment's for her, not you. So come out of her, right? So here are some key characteristics of rebellion in our realm. Number one, rejecting God's authority as the creator. God says, I'm the creator. I created all things seen and unseen out of nothing. You think you're something? You think you're something? Go do it. Go do what I did. Is there any human being can can just create stuff out of nothing? None, none, no one, right? No one can do that. No one can do that. There's no angel that can do that either. No one can do that. No spiritual being and no earthly being. We're all created by him. He says, I'm the creator. Big bang cosmology posits that truth. There was a time in which nothing existed. No space, no matter, no energy, nothing. And then all of a sudden, everywhere, it came into being. Like a Big Bang, it was there. Yeah, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Yeah, in science, and cosmology, Big Bang cosmology basically proves there's a causal agent. There's a causal agent. He is God, and what does humankind say? What what would a rebel say? Rebels say, "There's no God. No, no, no. There's no God. Everything came into being by its own, on its own, and kind of created itself. Yeah, you know, we call that atheistic evolution. Yeah, that's rebellion against God. That's really blasphemy when you think about it. And that kind of idea leads us all to the place where we start to think we're our own gods. We'll save ourselves." Right, We'll save ourselves because we're our own, our own gods. In fact, we'll make gods in our own image. That's so we do. We create our own heroes and idols in our own image, and we say, these are our gods. The second thing that's connected to rebellion is rejecting God's delegated authorities on earth. First, we reject his authority as creator over us, and we say, no, 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 we'll be our own authorities, thank you. Second thing is, is we reject delegated authorities, authorities that he put in place in our lives. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 13 and 1, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Which governing authorities? the religious authorities that rejected Jesus that are persecuting the believers? Or how about the Roman authorities who had enslaved the Jewish people under their iron feet, the Roman Empire, right? What are you saying, Paul? We have to submit ourselves to governing authorities? Listen to what Paul says. For there is no authority except from God. There's no authority except from God. Every authority that exists exists because God allowed it and maybe even put it in place. Remember the first big authority in terms of world empires? There was a king. Who's the first one mentioned in Scripture? The king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, pagan king of Babylon. And what did God say concerning him? He says, you, O king, are king of kings. And to you, I've given all authority and power to rule and reign over the world. Isn't that amazing? Gave that to a pagan king. Why? Because he can. God can do whatever he wants. And he puts delegated authorities in place, imperfect authorities, sometimes pagan authorities. And he says, they're still my authorities, regardless of their imperfections or even their unbelief. This is my world. I'm the creator I will direct it, I will oversee it. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resist what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. The only caveat is this: if a, if an, uh, an authority in your life compels you to do something that violates the clear commands of Scripture, it's only in that place that you can disobey that authority and not be in trouble with God. But if any of those authorities are requiring things of your lives that do not violate the clear commands of Scripture, you're called to obey them. And even in your disobedience let's say you have some some someone over your life telling you to do something that that is just a violation of some clear command in God's word you can disobey them but even in your disobedience you have to do that with honor and respect you have to you have to in your disobedience do it honorably with respect for that leader that you're going to disobey you do not get to mock them or threaten them or act like you're something. You don't get to do that. To resist the authorities of God is to resist God himself, and you will incur judgment for that because all authority comes from God. To mock it is to mock God himself. I read, I read what people say about our president, and let me tell you, um, I did not vote for him and would never vote for him. I I am completely in opposition with most of his policies. But to rail against him, to make fun of him, to call him names, let me tell you, you might as well be directing that to God himself because all authority comes from God. And you don't get to mock those authorities. Jesus didn't. You know, when Pontius Pilate, a pagan governor took Jesus to task. Jesus was very careful in how he responded to Pontius Pilate. He did so with dignity, but he stood his ground nonetheless. We can learn much from that. All right, so I'm almost out of time, so we're going to have to pick this up next week, but let me give you a closing passage here. 1 Peter 2.17, honor all people. All people, not just the people you like, Not just the people you agree with. You honor everyone. Learn to give honor. Everyone is made in the image of God. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Honor the king. You know who the king was at the time this was written? (laughs) He was a pretty pretty pagan Christian-hating king. And he's saying, honor the king. He's not saying you have to obey the king, but you have to honor him. And we can learn much from that. Mocking, slandering, committing libel against authorities is not only unacceptable, it is dangerous to our well-being. Believers who fall into rebellion in the natural realm will experience unnecessary pain and misery. Paul says, if you're going to suffer, suffer for righteousness. Don't suffer for stupidity, right? You don't have to suffer unnecessarily. Yeah, there is suffering that will come to you. But you, you don't have to invite it in ways that are unnecessary. G chapter 1, five. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Jesus, who led them out, ultimately wiped that generation out in the wilderness. Why? They were a rebellious generation doing what was right in their own eyes. They gave gave Moses a rough time. They gave God a rough time. Because to give Moses a rough time was to give God a rough time because God appointed Moses over them. So God wiped him out in the wilderness. Jesus loves us enough to take us home early if we're big and bad enough in our rebellion. Been plenty of believers that died before their time because of their rebelliousness. Let's not do that. Let's not be rebels. Let's come out of our rebellion and into a celebration of the the authorities that God has given us in our lives. Spiritual warfare is tied into honoring authorities and coming into alignment with authority. In fact, all of us are in authority and called to be under authority. We're called to submit and we're also called to lead those who God has, God has given to us. This is spiritual warfare. So next week, we're going to continue to develop this. Let's see where we're going to be next week, just so you know. Oh, yeah. Jude 1.11. Jude declares to the rebels of his day in his community, woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error, and they perished in Korah's rebellion. They perished in Korah's rebellion. They, the people of God, who were actually... Under God's rule and reign, got mixed up somehow, got off track, and because they didn't repent, they perished. So next week, woohoo! Korah's rebellion—it's one of the best stories ever told. You're gonna love it. All kinds of supernatural stuff, but more importantly, the whole issue of authority and how that works and how to, we're to relate to it in the body the body of Messiah—is prefigured in this story. Shabbat shalom.